Well, this morning, um, sermon's called Shaken Not Abandoned, and we're in a series called Jesus Rules. Pastor Stan's been taking us through snapshots of the gospel of Mark. The word gospel means good news, and uh, I've got good news for you this morning. Let's uh, look, if you uh, have your Bible, you can open it to Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. If not, it'll be on the screen. And it says, uh, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethesda while he sent the people home. Now, After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. And late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. At about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were still too hard to take it in. What a story. The disciples were having a rough time. They were having a rough night. We can all empathize. We've all had those kind of days, those rough, difficult days. Well, I have a few things to tell you here. You know it's going to be a bad day when your car goes off accidentally and remains, your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a huge group of hell's angels down the highway. (laughs) Maybe a bad day. Maybe a bad day when your twin sister forgets your birthday. (laughs) You know it's going to be a bad day when your four-year-old wakes you up with the news that it's almost impossible to flush a grapefruit down the toilet. (laughs) It's going to be a bad day when people say you look young for 40, but you're actually only 25. (laughs) It's going to be a bad day when the doctor tells you you have fine health for someone twice your age. It's going to be a bad day when you open the newspaper and read your own obituary. That's a bad day. It's a bad day when you call your spouse and tell them that you'd like to eat out tonight when you get home, and then you find your sandwich on the front porch. That's a bad day. You know it's going to be a bad day when you call the suicide prevention hotline and they put you on hold. You also know it's going to be a bad day when you wake up to discover that your waterbed broke. And then you realize you don't have a waterbed. That's a bad day. As I, studied this, as I studied this account from Mark's gospel, I discovered there are some great insights that he wants for us, uh, that, that I want us to unpack this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that even when we're having a bad day, bad week, bad month, whatever it is, God, We can call out to you and you'll be right there. Lord, I pray this morning as I share from your word in Mark that um, talks about you walking on water. I pray, God, that um, you will help all of us to... uh, to hear from you. Holy Spirit, speak to each of us exactly what we need to hear this morning. 
We need you in our life. Thank you, God. Amen. We're going to unpack this a uh, little bit different than what I uh, than a normal three-point sermon. We're going to go uh, verse by verse on this. And our first, uh, our first point is our response to God's direction is to obey. So let's look at the first verse, verse 45. It says this, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethesda while he sent the people home. Now, I want to put this story in perspective. Here's a brief account of what this day looks like. Uh, The disciples had just reunited uh, with Jesus after they had went out. Jesus had sent them out two by two from village to village, uh, praying for people, the sick, seeing miracles happen. He told them to to tell people to turn from their sin. And so uh, they went out, and they just had this tour, and they all went out. They went out each two by two to each village. He said, don't take any clothes with you. That's too much hassle. Just have what's on your back and just go. So that sounds, you know, interesting enough. I don't know about you, but we pack quite extensively when we go on a trip. So it's for him to say, hey, you're going to these villages, don't pack anything. No food, don't pack uh, any clothes, just go. And uh, they went and did that, and they said they just got back, and so they were reunited. They were excited, because I'm sure they all had stories uh, of what God had done while they were there. So Jesus said, well, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go find a place to pray and rest. Let's just go do that. So let's go scout a spot. So word got out that they they went and looked and they figured out where they wanted to go. Well, word got out. And when they got to the spot, 5,000 people were there. Oh, no, actually it's wrong. 5,000 families were there. And and so Jesus uh, spent some time with them and it was getting late at night and the disciples said, let's get these guys out of here. You know, it's time for some R&R. And Jesus said, no, it's late, but we need to feed them. And they're like, well, there's no food around here. What are we going to feed them with? And he said, well, go find out what, survey the crowd. So they walked through, and all these 5,000 families, all that was in the whole crowd was five loaves of bread and two fish. So he took that five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed the whole crowd. So this is their day. So then, uh, then Jesus uh, turns them at this point, and uh, they finally, the, the crowd had left. An amazing miracle had happened, and he said, hey, you guys go on ahead. I want time alone. So he sent him into the boat, and uh, Jesus went to pray. I want you to note here that Jesus placed them there on that sea. The disciples obeyed and they jumped in the boat. It's important to consider that they just weren't off on their own doing something. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do. Let's look at the next verse. Second point is prayer brings results. Verse 46. Prayer brings results. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Jesus was determined to take time to pray, alone. Taking time to pray was of the utmost importance of his ministry, and he wanted to pray distraction-free. We often see Jesus in the the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, the story of Jesus' life, that he was oftentimes trying to break away from the crowds, break away with his disciples to spend time to pray. And oftentimes, Jesus made time to pray alone. He knew it was of vital importance to spend time talking to his Father, talking to God the Father. The Gospels contain many references to Jesus praying, including, here's just a few. Matthew 14, 23, Jesus went up the mountain by himself to pray. Matthew 26, 33 through 44, he went with three of the disciples to pray. Um, and then he left them behind and went to, further to pray alone. 
Uh, that's also where uh, the, the important thing where disciples fell asleep and he, he was upset at them because he went back to get them and they were sleeping. Um, and then right before his execution and trial. And then Mark one thirty five, he went to a solitary place to pray. And, and Mark 14.32, uh, tells, Jesus tells the disciples to stay put in a spot while he goes alone to pray. Luke 5.16, Jesus described as often going to lonely places to pray by himself in that verse. Luke 16.12, Jesus withdrew, withdrew to a mountainside to pray. Uh, verse 13 implies that he was alone at the time. Luke 9, 19, Jesus was alone, praying alone, his disciples in the vicinity. Luke 22, 41 through 43, he withdrew from his disciples. He was about a stone's throw away to pray by himself. Matthew 26, 39, while Jesus was praying in Gethsemane, he went off with Peter, James, and John. And he said this, and it was also referred to in that, in that scripture earlier. He said, this is earlier in that other one. He said, uh, my father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Even Jesus was going through a difficult time and wanted God to help him. If Jesus found personal prayer essential to his ministry, it's important for us. He modeled prayer as significant. He made it a pattern of his ministry throughout his life. We are wise to follow his lead. If prayer was important to Jesus who's deity, who's God's son, who's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead, he is God, thought it was important to pray and model praying for us. How much important, more important is it for us? I love this quote. I want you to look at the screen from Matthew Henry. He's a, he has a old commentaries that were written a long time ago, uh, but man, they have some great things in them. And I was reading uh, Matthew Henry's commentary, and this line just jumped out at me. It said, a good man is never less alone than when alone with God. When you take time to be alone with God, you're not alone. You're never less alone. You're in the hands and in the, in the conversation with the almighty God. What better audience, what better friend to communicate with than that? We're never alone when we're alone with God. Here's a thought for you. We're only going to be as strong in life's challenges as our relationship with God. Psalm 105.4 says, Search for the Lord and his strength. Continually seek him. Search for the Lord and his strength and continually seek him. He's our true source of strength. We need to pray on a regular basis. We need his help in life. Seek him in all we do. There's great value to praying with others. There's great value. The Bible even says where two or three are gathered, you know, it says call the elders of the church to pray. So he says there's great value in us praying together in these settings. But also Jesus wanted us to know there's great value in us praying alone. Just getting, you know, spiritually eye to eye with him. Spiritually praying and talking to him. Let him speak to us. Letting him reveal things as we read the Bible as we reflect on what we're about to do and what we've just been through. We need God. We need alone time. Jesus valued those alone moments. Number three, you can be following God and doing what is right and still trouble can find you. Let's look at Mark six forty-seven through 48a, first part of 48. It says, late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. So here Jesus is. 
He saw they were having difficulty. He was up there praying. He looked down. He could see all of that going on. You see, we can be in the center of God's will, doing exactly as he asks, and trouble can still come our way. These weren't guys, you know, you hear, oh, you're asking for trouble. These guys weren't asking for trouble. You know, they were, they were ministering. They went two by two with no, nothing but their clothes in their back and ministered for days. They went out and, and, uh, and fed 5,000 people and passed baskets and food, made sure everybody's taken care of. These weren't people who were asking for trouble. Sometimes God will allow us to endure life struggles. We must rely on Jesus and seek him for our strength. Philippians 4, 3, 13 says this, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything. Say everything. Everything, it says. I can do everything, but not through me. Through who? Who gives us strength? Christ. Sometimes God calls us to bold, to bold plans. They often will cause adversity. Now, when I think of strong guys, I think of Donnie Moore, who was here a couple weeks ago. And Donnie, you know, he, he, it just amazed me. I've seen guys rip the phone book before, you know, and that's impressive. But somebody brought him one of those baby phone books. And I, I know enough about phone book ripping from people who do it. The baby phone book ripping is, is, is unbelievably difficult because you can't get enough momentum and leverage going to get that thing started. And just watch him, and he grabbed that thing with those monster hands and just grabbed it. And, ah! He's just such a big guy. And he ripped it. I was shocked. Because I thought, oh, this one might, he might have him on this. This might be a tough one. He just ripped it, and the, the papers went flying. That's what I think of when strong. But even Donnie Moore knows, as strong as he is, benching 500 pounds, he's nothing without God's strength. That he can have physical strength, but physical strength will not endure you through the difficult times. Spiritual strength will endure you through all of life's adversities. And Donnie knows that. Now I want to talk for a minute about some of you responded that week and said that you know that God's given you a dream and a vision for your life. Something specific God was calling you to do. I want to take a moment to encourage you. Don't let the circumstances derail you from your vision being fulfilled. You may look and go, ah, yeah, it's just not the right time. I got a really good job right now. I got this, I got that, you know. Kids are here, this is that. Just talk to God and find out what he wants. Because circumstances quite often don't look right. They don't always look right. People scratch their head and think you're crazy sometimes. But if God speaks to you and you know within your knower, like that part of you that you just know, He's going to help you. Don't let circumstances derail you. Fear will stop you from starting or going where God wants you to go and doing what he's calling to you to do. If you've clear, clearly heard from him, pray, and he will lead you. God is preparing you now for where he is leading you next. He's got you right where he wants you. Even if you're in a difficult time, he's preparing you for what's coming next. Let's look at Isaiah 48, 17. It says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. I remember my mom when I was a kid would say, well, I know what's good for you. Everybody, anybody ever have that with their mom? They say, oh yeah, I know what's good for you. You, you know, but you know what? God really, really knows. He's a loving father, and he knows what's good for us. 
And it says that he is going to lead us along the paths that we should follow. Here are a few examples of people who were fully obeying God and still faced daunting hardships. Daunting hardships. Let's look at the first one. This one you guys might remember from if you grew up in church as a kid, you heard this story a lot because it's a fun one to tell. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego, some call them. He went all the way in. They went all the way into the fiery furnace. All the way. Now let me tell you, these guys, not only were they doing nothing wrong, they were doing something right. They were saying to the king Nebuchadnezzar, look, I appreciate your gold idol and everything, but I'm not going to bow down to that. I'm not going to bow down. Matter of fact, let's look at it in their own words. Let's look at this verse up here. Even under apparent and certain death, they remain bold and full of faith. Let's look at this right here. It says, Daniel 3, 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the burning furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your God or worship the gold statue you've set up. Talk about faith. Here they are facing certain death, and they say, God's going to, he's going to help us through this. But even if he doesn't, that's, that's a faith line. Even if he doesn't. What a powerful statement. That's taking faith to another level. Because he said, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. Now let me tell you something. This ticked that king off. And if you read on, he was so angry, he had them raise the temperature of that furnace seven times hotter than what it was. And when they went to throw those three in there, they were, they were dumbfounded because the guys who threw them in died but yet all three of them were walking around in the fire, and then they saw a fourth one, and they said, that looks like the Son of God. They said, well, this appears to be the Son of God. There was four in there. Jesus was in the midst of the fire. They went all the way into the fire. They were doing exactly what God wanted. That kind of breaks some of our thoughts sometimes, that God would allow bad things to happen to good people. These weren't only good people. They were righteous people. But God saved them. They came out of that furnace. And obviously the king was moved. Now Daniel, who's the guy who asked for these guys to get appointed in, in this book of Daniel, uh, he also was sentenced to death by the same king. The king was tricked, and he was supposed to be sent uh, to a pit full of starving lions. And so, you know, be a nice story if he walked to the edge of the pit and he looked in and, and God just said, yeah, you don't have to go in there and just killed the king. Boom. That's not the story, though. Daniel got thrown into the pit. The door was shut tight. The king realized what he had done. He went running out to Daniel and he said, he said, Daniel, oh, I'm too late. And Daniel said, you're not too late. I'm down here. And he was so angry, those guys that tricked him, he threw them in the lines and the lions devoured them before they even hit the ground. The lions were starving, but God was in control. Joseph was given a vision when he was young. God told him that he was going to 
that all the people were going to bow down. Even his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters were going to bow down before him one day, that he was going to rule. But on the way to that vision being fulfilled, he was sold into slavery by his own family and put in jail for a crime he didn't commit, from running away from a lady who was trying to get him to get her, have her way with him. And the neat thing about Joseph is he didn't even show revenge when he could have. His own brothers sold him into slavery. They didn't know what was going to happen to him. And when they came back, they were afraid for their life. Let's look at Genesis 50, 19 and 20. It says, but Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. I'm going to read that line again. I think we need to hear that. Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Hmm. The Apostle Paul, man who wrote majority of the New Testament books, spent his whole ministry, you know, he was planning and encouraging churches, but he was in and out of jail, beaten to tar many, many times. Matter of fact, a lot of those books were written, if not all of them, while he was in jail. Um, and he was even shipwrecked. This is a guy that, that had what they call a Damascus Road experience. And this is where Jesus literally appeared to this guy on the road. His name wasn't even Paul at the time. It was Saul. And they switched, God switched his name. This was a good man who did, has done more for uh, the church in some ways than, than, than many that followed him. His books lead and guide us today. The good books that he was inspired, those letters he was inspired to write, and they guide us today on how to live as Christians. And yet, he was put in jail. He was beat to tar big time. He's put, you know, he was shipwrecked. I mean, the guy suffered. But let's see what Paul says. He says in Romans 8, 17 to 18, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. Hear that again. Since we're his children, he's talking about God's children. Since we're God's children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So not only are we God's heirs, but because of Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. But if we are yet to, we are yet to share his glory, because we won't get there till heaven. It says we must also share his suffering. So if we get to share in his glory, we have to share in his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Jesus was the one, God's one and only son, who left a perfect heaven, came to this sin-cursed earth to sacrifice everything to reconcile us to God the Father. And here's what he said. Let's look at John 13, 33. Jesus said this, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Our peace doesn't come from in us. Our peace comes through Jesus, in Jesus. It says, in me you may have peace. Let's look at number four. Jesus came out toward them in the storm. Verses 48, verse 48b, second half of 48. 
But about three in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. <laughs> I know this story really well. This story is told in Matthew, uh, Mark, and John. Uh, there's four books of the, uh, that are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for those of you who aren't aware. And those four books are the story, just the story of Jesus' life. And three, this is in three of those. Now, in, in, the one that I've spent, and I've probably, you know, I told, asked Jenny, I, I bet we spent over 100, maybe hundreds of times we've told this story because it's just one that we always do wherever we go to a, a camp or something. It's just one of the main ones we do. But we tell it out of the Matthew version, and that one goes on to talk about Peter walking on the water. Same story. Um, but when I read this version, that jumped off the page at me. It almost smacked me. I said, what? He, he intended to walk past them? Wow. I thought, well, there's something. He intended to walk past them. His friends are in this boat, struggling, full of fear, and he's going to walk on by. I thought, well, there's something to this, because I know that Jesus loves us. Jesus has a great plan, so there's something to this. I want you to realize this, that God doesn't always intervene when he, we think he should. If I was those disciples in the boat, when he was up on the hill, hey, come down here. I'm good with this. Go ahead and stop this now. But yeah, he stayed on that hill and prayed. Matter of fact, he didn't come down until 3 in the morning, and it was the darkest part of the night when he finally came. Jesus knew his disciples were still growing in their faith. He knew that they were still trying to control their circumstances. We don't have God's perspective. We're in the middle, when we're in the middle of life's storms, it may seem that Jesus isn't aware of our difficulty, and he doesn't understand or care about our hardships. What we need to know is that he is aware and he does care. However, he is seeing us from the outside of the storm. He has a greater perspective of the storm we're in. He knows that even in our suffering, there will be a greater outcome as we learn to trust in him. We don't see all the puzzle. I have a picture that they're going to show here. And several months ago, Jenny and I got a couple, maybe three or four days away without the kids, and some, some kind-hearted, wonderful people came to our house and stayed with our kids while we were gone so that we could have some time just to be together. So we drove over to the coast, and uh, we stayed at a, at a site down Yahats where you back up your trailer, and that's the tent of our trailer looking out at the ocean. You see the sunset there? And on the table there, you see there's a puzzle there? And there's Jenny, a silhouette of Jenny sitting there doing the puzzle. We spent hours doing that puzzle. It was so quiet. No kids were fighting. They weren't there. They weren't asking me to buy them things. They weren't there. They weren't wondering when dinner was. They weren't there. There was nobody whining in that whole trailer except for maybe me, you know. And I don't even know if I was whining, but I might have been. But it was so peaceful and so great. And we're just sitting there looking at the beautiful ocean God created. And we're doing this puzzle. You know, here's the fun thing about puzzles. The fun part is the edges. How many like doing the edges of the puzzles? I love the edges. Yeah, it's just fun. Because you know what you get to do with the edges? You get to get this tight box. Then everything fits inside the box. You know, you've got the box. Everything has to fit in there. But you know, I was sitting at the edge of the table where the, pu the puzzle was facing Jenny. So I was sitting at the top. 
And I had this blue sky, and it was a big blue sky that I had to do. It was a dog. I hate skies. I hate blue skies. They're horrible. I'm telling you, it's amazing the nuances in the blue that you start, your eyes finally start picking up on when you stare at them for hours on end. I like the pieces, you know, like this. This has a little roof on it. I know where that's going to go. There's another piece of roof and another piece of yellowish stuff, the building or something next to that, that it's going to sit. It's easier. I love those parts. I love the parts where you got the little, twin, you know, little flowers and things that are easier to put together. It's so much better when we're doing those areas. But you know what? We can only do the puzzle one piece at a time. And isn't it amazing the amount of detail, even in an all-blue piece, that there is? Even in the blue pieces, there are great distinctions among the blue. And I focused on that, those blue pieces and looked at them and really tried But you can only work on it one at a time. You can only see that one puzzle piece in front of you. Well, you know what? It gets frustrating when you're in the blue. I mean, it's fun when you're in the edges. You know, you're just making a box. You get in the sky, it's not so much fun anymore. But you know what? God holds the box in our life. We don't even get to see the box. All we get to see are these pieces. This is trust. This is faith. You're living one piece of your life right now. God's holding the box, though. This is the great news. If we put our faith and trust in him, he's going to help it go way better. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. The Bible says it. We're going to read scriptures about it. He's going to help you. He's not going to leave you waffling around. Matter of fact, when the disciples called out to Jesus, he showed up and got in there, and immediately it stopped. God has the big picture that we've got to trust and rely on. Who do we place our trust? How does trust develop? Trust develops through relationship, right? That's how we, we gain trust with somebody. We build relationship and say, yeah, this person's trustworthy in my life. Well, let me tell you this. The one thing that, touches, that, that tests relationships is adversity. You ever done a house project with your wife? Then you know what I'm talking about. You know, replace the floor. Who's ever replaced the floor with their spouse or strip? Uh, this is even better. Who's ever, re, who's ever pulled off wallpaper and stripped it and then put up new wallpaper? Anybody done that? Yeah, now if you can make that, then you were supposed to be married. Because that's, that's a deal. I'm so glad wallpaper went out. I just danced when it went away. Because it is just so hard. It is so hard. But I'm telling you, that's adversity. You know, you're trying to hold things. You're all wet. You're all sticky, full of glue. You're holding against the wall like this. One of you just got a roller. The thing's dripping in your eyes. And you're trying not to yell at each other because you're frustrated, both of you. The one with the roller is frustrated because you aren't holding it right, and you're frustrated because they're not rolling fast enough, not pushing it right. Adversity. Adversity tests relationship, and that comes to our relationship with God as well. When we are uneasy with a situation, our defenses can be raised and block our willingness to have faith and trust. We can try to control the situation all that we want. We can try and fight against the waves as the disciples did. We always prefer to take the wheel in life. We always want to fight. I'm a fixer. 
you know. My wife, uh, she's got this really cool thing on her side of the car. It's this invisible brake that's there. Just, she just hits it, her foot goes to the floor. There's nothing there. But she's got the thing, she works it. She works it. She gets a workout when she drives with me. You know, anybody ever drive with somebody that you, you wanted, to, you wanted to, to take the wheel? You ever been in there? You wanted control? Yeah. I've been there. I've drove with people and go, hey, you know what? If you just want to pull over here, I can, I can go ahead and drive a while. Or matter of fact, you can just leave me here at the curb. That's good if you, you know. You've been there. We've been there. We love control. You know, Jenny's trying to help me, but I'll tell you, you know, she's working. She's got an invisible wheel over there. We had a big talk about it this week even. Again, about her invisible brake. She says she saved my life a bunch of times, and I can't deny it. My pride wants to, but my reality can't. Adversity. Some commentaries in this passage said that they believe that Jesus was teaching these disciples in this story that troubled days were ahead, and the storms of life were going to be difficult as they followed Jesus. He wanted to teach them that they cannot rely on their own power, but on the supernatural power that only comes through Jesus Christ. Are we relying on our own power? Are we taking the wheel of life? I read an illustration about a, the government did a survey, put a whole thing, spent several million dollars on this idea of having a super highway that you drive with magnets, and every four feet there's magnets, and the road was the, the concept, and you just pull in there, and your car, your, the, it would take over, and it would pull you and, and put you inches in, you know, front and behind everybody else, and it would just move you at a very high speed all in a chain. And then as soon as you drove off the ramp, the magnets would stop. The reason they're not doing it is because nobody wants to trust the government and magnets. You know? So it was a waste of money. We are like, yeah, no thanks. You can keep your magnets. We're good. You know, we want control in life. We always want control. We love being in control. Let me tell you something. We aren't going to be effective until we let go of control into the right hands. And the only hands that really we can truly trust through all adversity is God. He's a loving father, and he wants to help you. He wants to help you. And I want to tell you, we do this in different ways with control. Sometimes in control, um, we try to control everything around us, so we just shut ourselves off. Sometimes we just close our, ourselves off from everybody and everything else, trying to preserve ourselves. Let me tell you this. If you're isolating yourself in the midst of adversity, in the midst of difficulty, you're setting yourself up for a trap of failure and, and you're shipwrecking your faith. You're setting yourself up for spiritual ruin. There's a reason why we sit in this big room together. Jesus valued praying alone, but he also valued being together. The reason we're here is to encourage each other in our faith. And if you shut yourself off from these people, you don't go, you have a bad week and you don't go to your life group, not very smart. Those are the people who are going to pray for you. Why would you stay at home when you got people who are going to pray for you. Because I'm telling you this. In my life group, we've seen God do amazing things. We've seen unbelievable miracles when we've prayed together. Get there. Be there. We need each other. Don't let yourself get isolated. Don't use that control. That's just another kind of trying to control yourself. Control your surroundings. we got to have people. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? 
2 Timothy says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. The disciples were caught up in the fear and the circumstances. Life can and will be scary at times. It's guaranteed. Bad things happen to good people even when people are doing what God asks, even when they're doing God's work. We serve a God who is fully available at all times, who desires us to put our faith and trust in him. And as we serve him, life doesn't necessarily get easier. However, he will bring peace and hope in the midst of the storm as we cry out all of our fears and worries to him. We need to place those fears and worries in God's hands. Fear's antidote is faith and trust. It's the vaccination for fear, faith and trust. We need to not let fear grip our hearts during the storms. But when trouble comes our way, we need to focus our, 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 we need to turn our focus from this, from the circumstances, from the what ifs, from the what is, from the what might be's. We must cry out to the one who can calm the storm. The only one who has power to rescue. Listen to his voice and cling only to him. Look at this verse. Psalm 34, 15 to 19. These verses are great. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. So if you're doing right, he's watching over you. His ears are open to their cries for help. So, you know, cry out to him. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil and he will erase their memory from earth. The Lord hears his people when they call him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. God is our rescue. Cling to God when we're shaken. Deuteronomy 13.4 says, Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. We don't need to fear anything else. Obey his commands, listen to his voice, and cling to him. I want you to watch this video with me.
that man moved to Jerusalem. Not only did he write a hymn that has, um, like few others, comforted people in grief. Um, he went on in Jerusalem to create a, a group that feeds orphans, takes care of widows, that uh, feeds the hungry. Uh, they did all kinds of things in that area. Um, and that, that organization existed until in the 50s sometime and continued to, to do work until then. That hotel and that picture still exists and was the place that that place uh, was the place that he had bought and was in that picture. And um, it's now a hotel uh, there in Jerusalem. Uh, but at the time, it was, it, worked, it was a hospital. It was all kinds of things that he used that for. So you can either quit when adversity comes or you can cling. You can quit or cling. You can quit, turn your back, say, God, you must not be for me. Or you can cling tighter than him, to him than you ever have before in your life. Number six, Jesus cares and has power to stop the storm. Mark 6, 50 through 52 says, But they were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, Do not be afraid. He said, Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. See that? They're totally amazed. Then they still didn't understand the significance of the miracles and loaves. Their heart were too hard to take it in. Now I've read a lot of commentaries on that and they, they all said, it's not saying that they had hard hearts. What it's saying though is that they still didn't understand how important their faith was and how much they needed faith in him. They still weren't recognizing him the way they needed to. The disciples were amazed because Jesus calmed the storm. The same disciples who watched him calm a storm two chapters earlier in the book of Mark. Pastor Stan talked about that message when Jesus was sleeping in the boat about three weeks ago. Same disciples who just hours earlier fed 5,000 families with five loaves of bread and two fish. Here Jesus was revealing himself again to the disciples. He wanted to reaffirm their need to put their trust in him in all of life's storms. They, will, they were still learning to have faith and trust. I was flipping through Facebook this week and I came across a picture post that caught my eye and it said this. It was titled, Testing 101 said, when you're going through something hard and wonder where God is, remember, the teacher is always quiet during a test. Doesn't mean he's not hearing you if he's not answering you. I hear my kids ask me for stuff all the time. It's almost nonstop. But I answer them, very few times. And it's not because what they're asking is invalid. But it's because I want them to learn that they don't need everything. We're so spoiled in life. We have so many things given to us. When I was a kid, you know, I loved the stories, you know, walked uphill to school in the snow both ways with no shoes. You know, I got those. Tell them all the time. I went to McDonald's. You count on one hand the whole time I was a kid went to McDonald's. These kids go all the time. I never would have dreamed of going to Disney. We haven't dreamed to go yet, but we're thinking about it someday. You know, it's not about what you don't have. It's about what has God put in your hand. What's he given you? 
And if it's even bad circumstances, say, God, I need you in this. Help me. Help me do this right. Help my faith. Help me to grow. Why do we face storms? Sometimes we face storms to grow our own faith. Sometimes we face storms to grow the faith of others. Sometimes we're in the storm as a result of a choice we made to sin. Sometimes we're in a storm because of somebody else's choice to sin. But regardless of why we're in the storm, we can be assured that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he can give us peace in the storm. He will strengthen us to ride out the storm. It says in Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me. My heart is filled with joy. I burst out of, in song of thanksgiving. He's our strength and shield. He's our protection. We must trust him with all of our heart. That is easier said than done for me. I'm a fixer. It's a good thing, because I got a lot of things broken at my house all the time with four kids. You know, they're good kids, but they're just kids. You know, things happen. But you know what? We can't fix everything. It's not our job to fix everything. Some things are about us to trust God and let him fix it. The disciples needed to pause and just call out to God for help. They were trying to fix it themselves. They were rowing and rowing and rowing. They thought from their own effort they could get through the storm. And it wasn't true. Fill your heart with hope. Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Let me say that again. And we know that God causes everything. Say that. Everything. Not some things. Everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now that doesn't say, mean that, you know, maybe you're saying, look, I don't see how any good can come from the tragedy I'm in. That scripture doesn't even make sense to me, you say. I don't know myself what good can come from your tragedy. But I know a God who is good, who can work through good through your tragedy. Let me say that again. I don't know myself what can come from your tragedy, but I know a God who is good, who can work good through your tragedy. Be encouraged. God transcends the who, what, when, where, whys, and hows of our storms. Regardless of who caused the storm, regardless of what your feelings are about the fairness of the circumstances in the storm, regardless of where your storm has taken you, regardless of when you think the storm should end, regardless of why you are in the storm, you can know how to react to the storm. Here's how. Call out for help. Pray. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Here's that word again, everything. Remember that from a minute ago? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That means good times, bad times, and different times. Pray about it. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. 
Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Second thing, cast your fears aside. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Cast your fears aside. Number three, you can put your faith and trust in the one who can calm the storm. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Trust him with all your heart. Not some of your heart. Not sometimes. Not when it's, you know, not when you think you got it. Because you don't. And don't depend on your own understanding. I know, and my wife can vouch for this, at times I believe I'm a genius. You know, I just think I got the best ideas, you know. And then she tells me I'm wrong, and I go, okay. You know. But there's just, we just all think we know good stuff, you know. We all think we understand things. But we don't have the box. You don't got the box. You don't have it. God has it. Don't rely on yourself. It's going to set you up for failure in your own understanding. Seek him in all you do so we'll know which way to go. Adversity builds and hones our character and gives us great life, a great life story to encourage others in their faith. He is teaching us and growing us and preparing us for who and what he is sending our way. In a life group homework meeting this week, someone said this statement and I want to read it to you. Why do, you ex- why do people expect of this earth what is only promised in heaven? Say it again. Why do people expect of this earth what is only promised in heaven? That's a great thought. We're going to be disappointed with this earth. It's full of sin and problems and awful, icky, yucky, gross, disgusting, abhorrent things. But God's good. And he resides in us, and we're here, and we can help each other through those things. And we can turn to him, and he'll help us navigate well. I want you to know you're never alone.